0: to introduce our speaker today, Dr. Leland Eliason, who has been uh, part of Mill City Church with his wife, Carol, for eight or nine years, almost since the beginning of this church starting. Uh, he hates long introductions that flatter him, but I do want to tell you that this last year, Leland was honored as Alumni of the Year at Bethel University. And how many degrees do you have from Bethel University? Two? Oh, he's going to come up now. But I want to just say uh, before he speaks, uh, most of you have no idea how much investment Leland and Carol have poured into this church over this last period of time. Even when it was just this little fledgling church in an urban setting, uh, they have poured in behind-the-scenes time and energy coaching pastors, coaching the leadership team. Uh, Carol's served about 1,000 hours with babies in the nursery and cooked many meals for us. And we wouldn't be the church we are today without Leland and Carol. So would you please welcome Dr. Leland Eliason. Thank you, thank you,
1: thank you. Wow, that was, uh, that was really good, wasn't it? Thank you, Michael, for those kind words. I feel so honored and humbled to be invited back to speak to this congregation, because you wouldn't have to do that, the pastoral staff wouldn't and uh, it's a very special thing. We love this church, and we brag about it all the time, whenever it's appropriate, sometimes when it's not. But it's a good thing to do, so uh, it's good. Now, I have uh, preached uh, Advent sermons, probably three a year, for about 18 years in the pastorate, and you'd think I'd have a pretty good barrel to draw from with that kind of background. But when, uh, when I was asked if I would do an Advent sermon again, immediately I had a passage of Scripture and a person in mind that I was supposed to preach on. And I discovered, I mean, I knew I had never preached on this particular text before. And after I got into it, I understood why. It's uh, not an easy text, actually. I was feeling kind of overwhelmed. I almost called Michael for help and said, maybe you should get somebody else. But I stayed with it and some really good nuggets came out of it. So, here we are. I enjoy the before and after pictures of renovated houses on the HDGTV uh, uh, channel. Uh, I love, well, I don't always love looking at the old one, the, the house before it was renovated. But what people say after they see the new one, they say, oh, I just, can't believe that this is the same house, and I can't wait to live in it. It's going to be just, well, it's the dream of a lifetime. Now, that before and after way of looking at life is used in the Bible and the New Testament many places. Uh, The writers of, uh, well, Paul, for example, he says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here and peter says once you were not a people now you are the people of god once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy those personal changes that are being referred to are a microcosm of of the change that jesus brought when he came into this world now at advent season i have preached and i've heard sermons and they've been beneficial to me on pieces of the Advent story. It's, uh, it's the story of the innkeeper who said, there's no room for you here. And how's that going to be with, with him when he stands before the Lord someday? And uh, and then there's the birth in a manger and the unlikelihood that the king of kings would be born in a manger. And there is uh, the story of, of frightened shepherds on the hillside and the persistence of wise men who followed the star and it, it is it is just rich in fabric there's so much there to talk about but this morning i would like you to try to wrap your minds around what i'm going to call the christ event and i'm going to talk about what i want you to think about is wrapping together christ's birth his life his teachings his miracles his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his inviting the Holy Spirit to come, and his sending the disciples out in the Great Commission. Now, that's a three-and-a-half-hour sermon, and I know you're excited about being here for all of it, huh? Actually, that's not what I'm going to do, but when, when you look at all that's there in those items that I mentioned, you pull together the strands of truth, and power, and God's initiative that created an explosion of spiritual uh, awakening through the Christ event. And I would like to think with you about the before and after of the Christ event. When Luke describes the birth of Christ, he includes an incident that occurred about six weeks after Christ was born, and we'll have it here for you. Of how devout Jewish people lived. They lived under the law of God and offered sacrifices regularly in the temple as was prescribed by the law of God. Now those sacrifices were a big part of it and it says that Joseph and Mary offered two pigeons. Well there was a part of the law that said poor people don't have to bring lambs or Or calves to be sacrificed they can bring doves or pigeons and that's that signifies that Joseph and Mary were not wealthy folks but they came to the temple to the priests in order to have this opportunity to follow the law of the Lord now they came to the temple and I would like to uh, look with you at the temple for just a moment this temple was destroyed in 70 a.d by the roman uh soldiers so this is a replica that archaeologists have designed and they have read contemporary writers like josephus to describe what was what was going on in the temple and so here's a picture of what joseph and mary went to with jesus when he was six weeks old the outer court is these two areas outside the walls and everybody could come to those into that area. The, uh, if you'd enter through this door, you'd get into what is called the women's court. And if you climb the steps and go into that door, the immediate part was a rather small court for Israelite men. And then beyond that was a court surrounding this large structure here, which is the Holy of Holies, and priests, this was the court of the priests where they would spend their time. And then this door here entered the Holy of Holies where the high priest would go once a year on behalf of the people of Israel to offer sacrifices on their behalf. So it's a rather elaborate system to teach the children of Israel how to approach God. And the people of the world were divided according to ethnic background, Gentiles could be in this area, women could get this close to the Holy of Holies, Uh, Israelite men could get in this area, priests could be in this area, and the high priest would go through that door once a year. So there was a division of the human race into categories of ethnicity and gender and privilege. I don't think that's the main message that was Trying to be communicated, but nevertheless, it is what was true at that time, and Joseph and Mary came, and they offered uh, two pigeons as a, uh, a a way of uh, designating their sacrifice, their devotion to Christ. Now, Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews, in chapter nine and verse twenty-two, talks about this in retrospect. It says, "In fact." The law require, the laws require that nearly everything is to be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. What surprised Mary and Joseph when they came into, by the way, the uh, what's called the women's court is the area where most of the activities in the temple took place. Uh, the outer court is where the money changers could be to. Uh, give a change for, uh, for uh, overpayment for a given price on a, on a lamb or a calf or, or pigeons. Uh, but in the women's court, where Joseph and Mary were, uh, the text says, well, there's a rather long passage, and so uh, we want to read it because it's really important for uh, everything else that happens. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation here means comfort. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what, was the, custom, what the custom of the law required, at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too, he said to Mary. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then had been a widow for 84 years. Some commentators say she was about 114 years old. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So you see here this expectation of becoming Messiah. And uh, Simeon uh, was uh, full of wisdom in what he had to say. The the sword that he refers to uh, actually uh, pictures what Mary would go through at the foot of the cross when Jesus hung on the cross and died for the sins of the whole world. Um, and after Christ offered himself as a sacrifice here's what happened The, the magnitude of this is hard for me to believe he ended the sacrificial system and the role of priests that were such an important part of the Hebrew worship and the writer of the book of Hebrews summarizes this for Christ was sacrificed once for all to take away the sins of many it's impossible to overstate the significance of what christ did his life and death and then subsequent resurrection did away with all kinds of things that were not essential to knowing god and and there were times in the old testament where you would read that uh, god is tired of sacrifices and offerings because your heart isn't in it he'd rather have a contrite heart that was sorry for failing than he would rather than he would a large sacrifice in the temple and it was not that the old testament people were without any guidance the word of god was their guidance they were asked to meditate upon it and think about it and and uh, hide god's word in their hearts so that they wouldn't sin and they would find strength and be renewed and be guided in all ways but when christ came and died on the cross the after was The priestly system and the temple were no longer necessary. A second before and after is this. The text says that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. That was the before of the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was present in the lives of individuals. So in the lives of judges like Joshua and Samson and Gideon. And with prophets like Huldah and uh, Ezekiel. Uh, So it was not that the Holy Spirit wasn't there, but the New Testament comes along, and the Holy Spirit was now for every person. Jesus said to the disciples, you wait until I send the Holy Spirit. And 120 of them were in the upper room, and the Spirit came, and it, it transformed what the early church members were all about. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mike brought a message in which he declared, every believer is a minister. And he said, I'm I'm gonna try to knock down the division between called preachers and lay people because it's not a biblical construct. And this passage and what happened afterwards with the Holy Spirit supports everything he said because the Holy Spirit comes into our lives at the point of conversion and the Holy Spirit gives gifts and enables the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives gifts without the fruit can be ugly but the fruit without gifts can be misdirected so both are necessary and and the Holy Spirit therefore empowered the members of the early church to be effective. It was true in everything they did. It was true in their worship, guided by the Spirit. This is what they did. They praised God. Guided by the Spirit, they were generous. They gave beyond what you would expect of any of them to give. Guided by the Spirit, they taught one another about the Lord. Guided by the Spirit, they reached out to the people around them. And then Acts 8 tells us that a persecution came. And all the believers, it says, were scattered abroad except the apostles. But all the believers preached the word of God wherever they were. So that persecution was like uh, stirring a, a fire outside and throwing coals all over the place. And instead of there being one fire, there are now 50 fires like happened in Southern California. The early church was empowered by believers who experienced the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, we need to remember, both then and now, there was a difference between having the Holy Spirit, which was necessary for conversion, so all believers have the Holy Spirit, then and now. There's a difference between having the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Paul gives a command to the Ephesian Christians, it's in the Greek word, it's an imperative voice, it's a participle, so it's present tense going on, and it says, be filled with the Spirit. A more accurate translation is, be being filled with the Spirit, be constantly being filled with the Spirit, every day be filled with the Spirit, because you get, we get filled up with other stuff, don't we? We can be filled with ourselves. And then there's not room for the Spirit. We grieve the Spirit, and it's hard to walk with the Spirit when we're all about us. So it's a part of the pattern of the Old Testament, of the New Testament, and this amazing thing that happened. Before, only a few individuals had the Holy Spirit. Afterwards, every believer did. And it was a part of the process that changed the then known world. There's a third before and after. It's found in Simeon's prayer. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Imagine a life in which you live till you're an old man and all you were promised or the big thing you were promised was to see the child of the the Messiah as a child. And when he saw Christ, he knew he He could now die. His life was fulfilled. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Now, these two lines are hugely important. It says, this salvation is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Before the coming of Christ, there are places in the Old Testament where you can find a view of reaching the Gentiles, but it was limited. It was not easy to become a, uh, a Jew within that system. And, and so what we have is, is this incredible thing that uh, that the church was born in, a, in an understanding that the gospel of Jesus Christ was for everybody. Over the centuries with the children of Israel, the teachings that they had to be separate from those who didn't practice the laws of God and the notion that they were God's children created a sense of pride and often prejudice. So by the time of Christ, the tension between Jewish folk and Gentile people was enormous. When the gospel came, it, it changed all of that, but it didn't change it immediately. It wasn't like in one week it all changed. When the Great Commission was given, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Peter clearly understood this to mean, you shall be my witnesses to the Jews in Jerusalem, to the Jews in Judea, to the Jews in Samaria, and to the Jews at the end of the earth." And for him to understand the, the centerpiece of the gospel that says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. It was so hard for Peter to understand that. I mean, he had the, the dream and the vision come down from heaven, and there was Cornelius outside of his door, and the Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius to the disbelief of Peter, who could hardly understand that the Holy Spirit had come upon Gentiles without their being converted to Judaism, but he had to admit that it had happened. And so Peter, as it was, came kicking and screaming into the understanding of the gospel that there was neither Jew nor Gentile. Slavery was present in the ancient world. And I know that the sermons about slavery that were preached most frequently in in the slave states of America many years ago by preachers was slaves obey your masters. But that's a, a peripheral thing compared to what Paul did with Onesimus who was a slave and Philemon was his owner. And Onesimus had come to faith and now Paul was returning Onesimus to Philemon. And he said to Philemon, You welcome him as if you were welcoming me. And so slave and free received its death knell in the meaning of the gospel of Christ. And women were empowered. They prophesied. Priscilla taught Apollos, a man. And Junia is called outstanding among the apostles. So what we have is this revolution that was taking place And I'd like to cluster the before and afters to see if the point can be clearer than it now is. Before, trips to the temple to offer sacrifices were essential. After, neither the temple or additional sacrifices were needed. Before, priests in the temple were required to represent the people and they offer sacrifices on their behalf. After the body of every believer is a temple of God, Jesus is our great high priest. Now here's one of the most beautiful parts of this study from my point of view. Jesus constantly intercedes for us and every believer has full access to God any place they may be, any time of the day or night, in any circumstance, you and I, can turn to God and he will hear us and respond to us. That's the heart of Christian spirituality right there. Before, temple-centered sacrifices and priests were necessary after Jesus is our great high priest and every believer has complete access to God any time, any place, and in any circumstance. Before, the Holy Spirit came upon selected individuals after every believer receives the Holy Spirit and is urged to daily be filled with the Spirit. Before primary focus was upon Israelites, after primary focus was on all people, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's no wonder that the priests and the Sadducees were not happy with Jesus. They're going to lose their jobs. And he was uh, unrepentant. Matthew helps us understand the ministry of the Messiah in our lives with two metaphors. Listen to this. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now, imagine yourself a a basket weaver in the ancient world, weaving reeds into the basket, and you receive a reed that's clearly damaged, it's bruised. And what do you do with it? You throw it away because it will not be strong enough and it will be discolored and spoil the appearance of the basket. And Matthew says, but with the Messiah... There are no throwaway people, no matter how bruised we might be, no matter how often the hurt has come. When Jesus looks at you, he sees you through his own experience. For the Bible says he was bruised for our transgressions. And Jesus understands. And then the second metaphor is an flickering wick he will not snuff out. In my childhood, we used to have a lantern in the barn to do chores in the wintertime because the sun went down so early. And when you burned a wick in a lantern for a period of time, it became crusty across the top with kind of an ash deposit on it and it wouldn't burn brightly. So the best approach was to take a scissors and cut the burned part of the wick off, put it back in the kerosene, and then when you light it, it would, it would be full of light and, and at its capacity. And Matthew says the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he sees someone who, in whom the light of hope and life is flickering, almost snuffed out, Jesus doesn't complete the job. He doesn't say, I don't need you. You're you're not bright enough. You're not good enough. No, what Jesus does is he restores the wick of our spiritual life without destroying us. And he lets us live again with hope and vision and and the longing to be all that God has called us to be. So the before and the afters of the Christ event. All that he did to make it happen. Uh, Blow my mind. It, it's hard to wrap my mind around all the differences that, that the Christ event made. But this is a Christmas story, isn't it? It's the result of Christ coming into our world. So, as we wait upon the Lord this morning, may I suggest that you think about these items. Through Christ, you have direct access to God. It's like entering by yourself into the Holy of Holies in the temple to meet with God. Or think about the fact that Christ offers himself in love and will take away our sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. You might want to think about letting go of whatever you're holding on to that prevents you from holding on to the Lord and allowing yourself to sense that he is holding on to us. And remember how Christ heals our bruises and restores us when, we, when the light of our lives has flickered low. Ask for wisdom to share these experiences with others, especially those who are bruised and in need of hope. I'm gonna ask the uh, band if they'd come forward because we're gonna turn now to a time of meditation before the communion service. And our pastor Donna will share with you the instructions on how to make that most meaningful.